Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. It's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show for this Monday, July 20th, 2015 edition. Well, we were absolutely stunned on Friday when our fellow watchman, Brother Marcus Samuel, went into the hospital, and at about 6.30 in the morning Friday, they did pronounce him dead, and we rallied a lot of our pastors and our network of ministers, and we really prayed for that situation, and we will see what the Lord will do in this situation, but we are standing in faith and believing for a Lazarus-type miracle, and we do pray for Curtis, we pray for all the crew out there in South Dakota that have been so touched by Brother Marcus's ministry. Curtis was telling me this morning that he had a dream and he was sitting right next to Marcus and he was so delighted that he was back with him. He said he's ready to come back, so we'll just stand in faith and see what the Lord will do. They say Lazarus was raised on the fourth day. Jesus simply cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. We will see what God shall do in this situation. We just have to stand in faith for that. My guest today, you all know, he is a very popular watchman. He does watchman video broadcast series and he pastors Bethel Church in Missouri. And it is my pleasure to welcome him back to the show. He is a good friend of the show and he is getting into a very interesting teaching today that is quite fascinating. I know you're going to be very blessed by this. Pastor Mike Hoggard, welcome to the show, sir. It's a pleasure to have you back on. Good to be back with you again, Sheila. So, Mike, you've been doing an incredible series, The Secrets of the Occult. Very interesting. And, of course, part of that series is a teaching entitled The Capstone. I'm just going to give you the floor to get into this incredible series. So take it away, Mike. Sheila, I appreciate that. Um, I started looking at the symbolism 
of what was on the back of the $1 bill. And I'd seen a lot of things like on the History Channel and watched some YouTube videos and so on. And I, I have had an interest in studying symbols ever since I saw the Triketra on the front of a New King James Bible. And I had never seen that symbol before. And I thought, what is that? It didn't look right. It looks weird. So I started doing research. And of course, uh, Thomas Nelson, they're the ones that published the New King James. Uh, and it's not featured as prominently as it, as it used to be when they first started printing the New King James. But Thomas Nelson said that the Triketra was an ancient symbol that showed the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and what the King James calls the Godhead. And, and that was their explanation of it. But I read the scriptures where it was said in the book of Acts that we ought not think that the Godhead can be graven with art and man's device. And so here we have a Bible publisher saying the Triketra was the symbol for the Trinity, but God saying that there is no symbol for the Godhead. There isn't one. We shouldn't think that way. So that got me interested in what symbols really mean. And, and um, it was uh, Albert Pike that wrote in Morals and Dogma that symbols always had two meanings. There was an exoteric meaning, which is the meaning that they would tell to the low-level Masons, that would, that the meaning they would tell publicly. Uh, but there was also an esoteric meaning to the symbols. In other words, Masonry says, if we tell you what a symbol means, we lied about it. And we're telling you we're lying to you because you don't deserve to know the truth. And so I've just had this inquisitive mind uh, ever since I was a child. If I saw a mystery, I wanted to know what it was. I wanted to know what was behind it. And so for Albert Pike to tell me that I'm not worthy to know what a symbol means, uh, I'm going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to try to find that out. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, different uh, elements to the symbolism on the back of the dollar bill. You have an eagle. An eagle in the Bible is always a a spiritual uh, an entity, a spiritual entity of some kind. Uh, you think angels. You think of the angelic realm, and there are different uh, characterizations given to us in the Bible about different animals and different beasts and so on. Then you look at the, the numbers that are associated with the Great Seal. You have the number 13. You have 13 uh, arrows in one claw. You have 13. You have an olive branch in the other with 13 leaves and 13 berries. And some of the lettering of the Great Seal turns out to be the number 13. Anyway, the number 13 is very prominent on the back. And some would say, well, that was the 13 colonies. But I also think that there is an ex esoteric meaning of the number 13. And of course, if we want to uncover what that means, we go to the pages of the Word of God. Um, you have a little a theme in the Bible of the number 13. In Genesis 13, 13, that verse has 13 words in it, precisely, in the King James. And it tells you about the men of Sodom and how their wickedness was exceeding before the Lord. Then you go to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13 deals with um, the identification of a false prophet. A false prophet will come and he'll show a sign or a wonder. And that sign or wonder will come to pass. And then anybody that follows that guy, uh, you know, I'm just proving, I'm using this guy to prove whose side everybody's on. And you go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 deals with a man. The Bible specifically calls him a false prophet. And then, of course, it takes you to Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, you have both the beast rising up out of the sea, and then you have the, the false prophet there, and he does signs and wonders, and he, he deceives mankind with those signs and wonders. And, and then, of course, in Revelation 17, in the King James, you have a woman there 
Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And that's 13 words. And the, the King James Bible is neat because it'll show you those words. It'll put them all capital letters. So when you turn to that page, that's the first thing you see. And, and then you have Jericho. Jericho was marched around one time a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. That's number 13. So it has to do with Mystery Babylon and what she represents and what she does and, and how, what her role is in these last days. So when we get to the, the, the opposite side of the Great Seal, which is a, a step pyramid or a pyramid with rows in it, um, you have 13 rows of stones on that pyramid. And the symbolism of a pyramid, there's many, many aspects of it. But one of the symbolisms that's in the pyramid is that of levels. Masonry teaches about levels. In witchcraft, there are levels. There are some who are more adept at witchcraft than others. They would say they are on a lower level. Uh, in the martial arts, you can have different belts that represent different levels of mastery that you have attained to and so on. Even in uh, the uh, the the school uh, situation in America, you have 12 grades, and once you reach that 12th grade, then you are elevated to a different status. Now you're ready for college, which is that, you could say it's that 13th level or whatever. But anyway, that number 13, uh, it represents the, the kingdom of Mystery Babylon the Great. And the pyramid is designed so that it shows you that it's unfinished. It represents an unfinished work. And if you were to look in the Bible, you could go back to Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11, you have the unfinished work there. You have the builders there. Nimrod, I believe, was, was the king at that time. And you have the, the, the entire world basically in one valley, the Valley of Shinar, the Bible calls it. Um, we call it Sumeria. Um, but you have the entire world's population there in one place, in one city, and Nimrod is their king. And they all decide that they want to build a city. They want to build a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And the symbolism behind that is, is that man wants to reach heaven. He wants to elevate himself to a higher level. And um, that's the goal of it. That was put into us by the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, who speaks to Eve. And he gives her this temptation that says, if you uh, eat of this fruit, then uh, you shall not surely die. And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And uh, there's something very curious to me about the world that we live in right now, Sheila, is that um, science is working daily in biology and in technology, Ray Kurzweil's the leader of this, uh, they are working feverishly and daily so they can crack the code of man's mortality. They want to enable mankind to live beyond his expected years. They want to, um, they want to fulfill Lucifer's promise and break God's promise that is appointed unto man wants to die and after this, the judgment. And so you have scientists all over the world that are working on different ways that mankind would cheat death and therefore not die. And then the devil promised Eve, and then thus mankind, we all have it in us, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so here they are in Genesis chapter 11, and they start the work of elevating themselves up to the status of heaven. You think of, um, think of Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14 
who, who promises that he gives his I will testimony. And there's five things there. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then the fifth thing, he says, I will be like the most high. And we know who Lucifer is. He is the, um, he is the, uh, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He is the dragon. He is the serpent. He's the devil. But we also see this Luciferic ideology embedded into mankind that wants to elevate himself above the heights of the clouds. He wants to elevate himself to heaven. He wants to rule over and have mastery over the universe that he is, and he wants to be God. He says, I will be like the Most High. And so the top of that pyramid is the all-seeing eye, what the, what the founders referred to as the, the eye of providence, looking over and favoring the Latin there on the great seal, Anuicceptus. He favors the, the birth or the undertaking of a novus ordo seclorum, a new secular order, a new world order, and the eye of providence looking over and f- giving favor to uh, the building of this new Atlantis, which is what Francis Bacon referred to it as the building of this new kingdom, this kingdom that had died of old and is being resurrected in the United States of America. They, they called it the eye of God, but we find out from the scriptures in Genesis that Noah found grace in the eyes, plural, of God. So the Bible's telling us that God has at least a, a plurality to his eye. We, we have two eyes. We know that the lamb in Revelation chapter 5, had seven eyes. But what is this one singular eye doing, and what does it represent? There's an interesting prophecy in the book of Zechariah chapter 11. And when you, when you study the Bible, especially when you study the King James, I love the language of the King James. It just preserves the prophetic utterances of God and the language and the symbolism of it. But then we have in Zechariah chapter 11, Verse 17, we have the opposite of Jesus. We have what the Bible calls the idol shepherd, I-D-O-L. So now we're not dealing with the real shepherd. We're dealing with an idol shepherd. Now, here's something. This Bible is right, and it's very interesting because I've been in Catholic churches. I've been in, even in a Lutheran church at a, at a funeral where they had a statue of Jesus holding a lamb and he is depicted then as the shepherd. And when you look at that, you're supposed to think that that is a representation of Jesus, but just remember, God said, you have not seen my image, you've not seen any similitude of my face, so when you carve an idol, that's not me. And the same would apply to Jesus. So all over the world, in churches, you have carved images of a man standing there acting as if he is a shepherd, but it's not Jesus. Jesus is said that he leads the flock. This idle shepherd leaveth the flock. And so God says, the sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up. And here's what's interesting. His right eye shall be utterly darkened. And so when we look at the symbolism of that capstone with that all-seeing eye there, I'm looking at it now, Uh, It clearly looks like it is the left eye. And so here we have this eye symbol peering out, and the founding fathers didn't just invent this symbol. It's been around for years. In ancient Persia, they had a god called Ahura Mazda, 
and he was a single-eyed God, but it was said of him that his eye sees everything. I'm reasonably sure that probably most of the listeners that are listening to this program are familiar with Thor. Thor is the son of Odin, which the day of Wednesday is Woden's day. It was named after Odin. Odin has, it even, it even depicts this in uh, the movie version of Thor, Odin has his right eye put out. It said it was lost in battle. So he only has one eye. Osiris's symbol, and I believe it was handed down to Horus because that all-seeing eye is the all-seeing eye of Horus. Osiris represented uh, the opened eye, or let's say the, the illuminated third eye, which would be the pineal gland. That's what he represents. And, and in many, many civilizations all throughout the world, they all had a characterization of a one-eyed God. There is a, a, a video that Katy Perry made of a, a song that she, that she sang, and she is dressed up in Egyptian costume as if she was a queen of Egypt, and she is boldly displaying the Eye of Ra or the Eye of Horus there in her videos. And I'm sure, again, the listeners have probably seen on the Internet images of rock stars and movie stars where they make a triangle with their two hands, their thumb and their fingers together, they will hold that over one of their eyes. And basically, they're telling you what spirit they derive from. They're telling you that their God or the spirit that works through them is the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and he is the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so there's, there's many, many things that can be discerned from looking in the scriptures and understanding what these symbols represent. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were all about cleaning up the outside of the bowl, and they were all about not eating the wrong thing because they said that would defile you, and Jesus had a new teaching for them. He said, man is not defiled by what goes into his body. Man is defiled by what comes out of his body. And he says in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness. The tenth thing that he mentions is an evil eye. And that evil eye is what's represented at the top of the capstone on the back of the $1 bill. And the great seal of the United States of America that eye of the idle shepherd is emblazoned there, and it's got all this light rays and glory coming out of it, like this is some big glorious thing. But the interesting thing about this list in Mark chapter 7, if you go count the number of things that are on this list, you have evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. There's 13 things there. And he says in verse 23, right after that, he says, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so clearly this, this understanding of what this pyramid represents, the 13 rows of stones that are on there, and then this idle shepherd's eye sitting on the top of it, we literally are dealing with a new world, a new world order, a way of doing things and understanding and perceiving things that is going to be so foundationally and fundamentally different than anything else that has ever been seen in the world. And the Bible prophesies that. Jesus said there's going to come days that 
the world has never seen before. And we are just sort of being flooded and inundated with this ideology that at some point in the future, things are going to change so drastically and so dramatically that every thought that man has currently right now will just be found to be false and eliminated because of this new paradigm that's going to be brought forth. And that new paradigm is part of the new world order. It is part of the lie that God said that he's going to cause people to believe uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And I think that there is going to be the appearance of something or the manifestation of something symbolized by this eye that is literally going to change the very foundation of every institution that is currently in this world. It's going to change religions. It's going to change governments. It's going to change how we how we do finance between nation and nation and people and people. It's going to change, literally, it's going to change everything. And if, uh, if I could get the people listening to pay attention to TV advertisements, radio advertisements, magazine ads, things that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, you're going to see a theme of this is going to change everything. Everything is going to change. We're going to rise to a new level. We're going to go to a new level of this and a new level of that. And that advertisement, that marketing is just, it's flooding mankind literally to where he is going to come to a point to say, yeah, let's, let's bring about a new world order. Let's, let's rise to the occasion. Now, here's, here's what got my attention with this pyramid and this all-seeing eye. As we pointed out, there's 13 rows of stones there. The eye sitting on top of it represents the 14th thing. Now, there's an old myth that goes back all the way to ancient Egypt. Manly Hall talks about it in The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And Hall says that the god Osiris was the, characterizes the sun god, and he married his sister, and they fell in love, and his sister was Isis. And Set, the jackal-headed god, was jealous over this, and he took Osiris and he killed him and he cut him up into 14 pieces and scattered his body all over the earth so he would never live again. Isis, who I believe is a picture of mystery, Babylon the Great, she goes and she collects all of the pieces of Osiris and puts them back together again, sort of like Humpty Dumpty. And I think that's where the, the children's story of Humpty Dumpty came, came from came from this idea that this God was cut in pieces and scattered all over the earth. Well, Isis gathers him back together, but her problem is she can only find 13 of the 14 pieces. And so there is a missing piece that would finish the deal for Isis, whereby she could resurrect Osiris from the dead back to life again. She could, in essence, give him a rebirth. And think about the phrase, uh, over the capstone there, Anoequeptus, which literally means he favors the birth or the undertaking of a new world order. So she has 13 of the pieces, but it's unfinished. She cannot come up with the 14th piece, and so the work is undone, just like what you see on the back of a dollar bill. Something's going to happen, and that 14th piece is going to be manufactured because the myth is is that since Isis couldn't find the 14th missing piece, which um, incidentally was his generative organ, 
She could not find that, so she made one. And we see this all over the place. We see it as the obelisk, Washington's Monument in Washington, D.C. There's one at the Vatican. There's one in London. There's one in, in Egypt. There's, there's obelisks. In old, if you go to old cemeteries in America, you're going to see these obelisks rising up out of the ground. And what those represent, that phrase obelisk literally means Baal's shaft is what it means. So she has this, uh, this missing piece is going to be manufactured. It's going to be synthesized somehow. And that in itself is going to bring about a, this new paradigm or this new world order. Now, here's what really, really got my attention. As I was studying the scriptures one day, and many years ago, I just the Lord just kind of put it in my heart that when I read something, and if I come upon a list of something, I'm going to count that list. There is a, there's a pattern in the Bible. There's cadences like drum beats, heartbeats, things like that. Everything in nature revolves on rhythms, and so does the Bible. When you read the Bible, you can, you can see the rhythm in it. God is a musical God, and there's no doubt about it. And so anyway, I learned to count things in the Bible. And I was reading 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles 33 deals with King Manasseh. King Manasseh was king in Jerusalem just before Nebuchadnezzar came in and stole everybody out of, out of Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the temple, and so on. What was it that triggered God's wrath so bad that he literally had his own house there in Jerusalem destroyed? What was it that triggered God's anger so bad that he sent Nebuchadnezzar in to, to take away captive all the Israelites that were in the land? Well, the Bible tells you that Manasseh had done things that went far beyond what his forefathers had done. Manasseh tripped God's trigger, as it were. And so in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 33, uh, here's what the Bible says. That this is what he did. He built again the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right here briefly and just mention this because this is an ongoing series, and I have probably four of these started. I've never finished a one yet. This is an ongoing series, and I'm dealing with the things that Manasseh did to, to finally bring about God's wrath. And I'll go ahead and tell the listeners, there's exactly 13 things in this list. If you start reading from verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 33 to verse 7, there's exactly 13 things here that he does that brings about the 14th thing. Let me read those very quickly. Number one, he built again the high places, and I'm going to talk about that. Number two, he reared up altars for Balaam. Number three, he made groves. Number four, he worshipped all the host of heaven which is astrology. He's worshiping the stars and he's serving them. That's astrology. And serve them is the fifth thing he does. The sixth thing he does, he built altars in the house of the Lord. Number seven, he built altars for all the host of heaven. Number eight, he caused his children to pass through the fire. Now I'm going to mention something here very quickly. There's a lot to be said about this. This is all through the scriptures. It's back in uh, Deuteronomy where God said, don't do that. But over and over and over, Israel was passing her children through the fire. I just finished a series of videos uh, called Fire from Heaven, and it deals with what the false prophet is doing in Revelation chapter 13. He's causing fire to fall from heaven. 
Well, the Bible tells you what that fire is. That fire is the, the ministers of the Lord or the angels of the Lord uh, are, are, flame, are flames of fire, the Bible says. And we know from Revelation 12 and we know from Daniel, uh, I think it's Daniel chapter 7 or somewhere, that the host of heaven is going to fall from heaven and fall to the earth. And I think that that's that fire that comes down from heaven. There is a practice being done. I think it was started by Bill Johnson at the Bethel Church. I call it the anti-Bethel Church because I pastor Bethel Church in Missouri. (laughs) Bill Johnson pastors the Bethel Church in Redding, California, and I've been in contact with people who have literally escaped from that darkness in that church. They, They perform a ceremony in their church called the Tunnel of Fire. Wow. And they bring people in, and, and these people will line up on both sides and clasp their hands over overhead in the air together with each other, and they will make a fire tunnel, and then they will cause people to pass through that fire, saying, telling them that when they come out on the other side, they will be baptized in fire, and they will be a new creature, and they will be like these super Christians that Todd Bentley brags about, this Joel's army, how they're going to be a new breed. And by the way, this same group, the anti-Bethel Church in California, they do what's called grave sucking. They send people out. Bill Johnson taught them that if it, that they, all these people, all these saints that have died, they had an anointing on them, and when they died, there was an unused portion of that anointing. And so Bill tells his people to go out, find these people's graves. They go and lay down on these graves, or they embrace these tombstones, and then they call upon this anointing left or of anointing, to come up out of the grave and fall upon them so they can finish the work. And it's a practice called grave sucking. And I'm just going, do you not perceive why God told the Israelites not to consult with necromancers, those, and have contact with the dead? God told them not to do that, and yet this is what they're doing. But that's what the modern day, causing his children to pass through the fire, that's what it looks like today. Then number nine in the list is he observed times. Number 10, he used enchantments. Number 11, he used witchcraft. Number 12, he dealt with a familiar spirit. Number 13, he dealt with wizards. So he does 13 things here that other kings before him, they had done. But then, after doing these 13 things, Manasseh goes one step further with it. He did something that no other king of of Jerusalem did. He carved an image and took that carved image and put it right in the house of God, the temple. So now we have, and this is a prophecy, this is a real story, but it's a typological foretelling of an event that's going to take place in the last days. We know, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, that the the son of perdition, the beast, the man of sin, is going to show himself that he is God. He's going to sit in the temple of God. And here we have Manasseh acting that very thing out when he takes and puts a carved image inside the house of God. And when he did that, God said, okay, you're done. I'm going to come nail you, and I'm going to, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. You have, you have violated the very house of God You've committed this abomination, and I'm going to make the house of Jerusalem desolate. And that's what he does. After Manasseh is done, that's what, that's what God does. So I was looking at this, and I'm counting these things. 
these 13 things, and I see them as like levels that Masons go on. In the York Rite of Masonry, there's 13 levels. And if you join the, the Masonic Lodge and you say, yeah, I'd like to be a 13th level York Rite Mason, they will tell you, you can't do that today. You have to come and you have to experience these rituals one at a time. We have to perform them on you. And every time we perform a ritual on you, we're going to give you another piece to the secret. We're going to give you a secret code. And when you pass through this level and go to the next level, they're going to ask you for this secret code. You're going to give it to them. And then when you go through this level, we're going to give you another piece of the secret. And when you go to the next level, we're going to require it of you. And so just think of someone who's a Mason who they enter into the lodge on the lowest level possible, the entered apprentice. And they go through the first three degrees. And whether it's Scottish Rite or York Rite, it's the same degrees. You're, you're working on becoming a master Mason. And so you go into the lodge and they say, kneel, and you bow before, they, you have, you're blindfolded, and you bow before a man they call worshipful master, and he's sitting on a throne. When they lift that, lift that off of your eyes, now you can see, and now you have revealed to you that you are worshiping someone sitting on a throne called the worshipful master. And masonry is nothing but pure satanic worship. I have a pastor friend in the ministry, Pastor Reg Kelly, and he's a good friend of mine. He's a good, strong man of God, loves the Bible, loves to preach it right. He said, Mike, I was lost. My dad told me to go join the lodge. He said, I was lost in sin. And when I went through that degree and they pulled that blindfold off me and they had me knelt before a man that they call worshipful master, he said, I knew even though I was lost, I knew that was wrong. I knew, I knew what it was. And he jumped up and he said, I'm out of here. And in the community that he lives, the Masons hate his guts. They hate him because they know that he went through their initiation, found out what it was all about, and he left and he preaches against it. But here's the premise. The premise is you see it on the back of the $1 bill. You have 13 rows, 13 layers, 13 steps. The Masonic Lodge, the House of the Lodge Temple in Washington, D.C., has a step pyramid on it with 13 steps on it. So you as a mason or you as an initiate are taken to the pinnacle of the pyramid, the top of the pyramid, level by level. There is even a symbol in masonry called the Masonic Ladder. It is a ladder that connects the earth with heaven. And the symbolism of that is, is found in Daniel chapter 2. The fourth kingdom mingles themselves literally with the seed of men, and that's what the ladder is a representation of. The ladder is a representation of DNA, the seed of man. And Masons are taught that they must achieve um, climbing up the ladder to attain to this idea where they can become gods or, or whatever it is. But here we have in Second Chronicles 33, we have Manasseh who performs 13 rituals, as it were. He builds high places. He makes altars. He made groves. He worshiped the host of heaven. He observed times and so on. So that by the time he gets to the 13th part, which is he is dealing with wizards like Harry Potter and Gandalf the Grey and so on. He's dealing with wizards. Now he's ready to take it to the next level where literally everything is going to change. So he then, having performed the 13th ritual, he now is ready to go 
to the pinnacle of the capstone, which is the all-seeing eye, which is the new paradigm, which is that what the new age says is going to be this new age of peace and enlightenment. And actually what God says, oh, no, 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 it's not going to be at that all. It's where I'm going to pour out my wrath on mankind. And I believe that the Bible is the guidebook for the days, Sheila, that we are living in right now. And what I can see clearly from this is that these things are being done and performed right in front of our very eyes. So the, 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 this is, I, I just finished part two this last week. I posted it yesterday. It's online. You can find it on YouTube or you can find it on Sermon Audio. It's called The Capstone. Look for part one and look for part two, and then you can kind of see where I'm going with this. And in part two, what I did was I dealt with the first thing that Manasseh did, and that is he built again the high places. Now, there are high places all over the world. We just call them something a little bit different. Uh, right across the river from me in uh, Missouri, over in Illinois, is a town called Cahokia, Illinois. It's the, the name Illinois and the name Missouri and the name Cahokia are all Native American tribal names. Thousands of years ago, the Cahokia Indians lived right along the side of the Mississippi River. And the Cahokia Indians, or whoever inhabited that land at that time, they were mound builders. And they built, and they are there to this day. It's a, it's a national park now. You can go over there and see all the mounds they built. But literally, these ancient civilizations, all of them built high places. The Aztecs, they built pyramids. The, the, uh, the Mayans built pyramids. The Egyptians built pyramids. The Chinese, there are ancient pyramids in China that were built by who knows who they were built. I have a theory about it. But you have literally all over the world, whether it's step pyramids or like the Great Pyramid of Giza or these mounds, there's an interesting one in Ohio. It's called the Serpent Mound. And it's a high place where they worshipped the dragon. They have carved into the top of this hill. They have mounded up dirt in the shape of a serpent that is either consuming an egg or it's regurgitating an egg. But the egg in itself is a symbol uh, of, the, of the Antichrist. And I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, that's what you have in Ohio. You have this mound there where an ancient civilization worshipped their gods at a high place. And so I just started thinking about that and started thinking about the symbolism of why they would do that. We have in the Bible, and we have a few minutes, we have in the Bible how God talks about uh, the symbolism of a mountain. And the Bible says in Isaiah 2, 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. So think of mountains as like a picture of, of where heaven is. When Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, he is there in the presence of God. It's like he is in heaven. Uh, God did not meet Moses down in the valley. And you have two opposite symbols in the Bible. You have the mountain, which represents God's kingdom. And then you have a valley, which represents hell or the kingdom of mystery Babylon. Babylon was built in the plain of Shinar, in the valley of Sumeria. David talked about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The, um, the place where the Israelites caused their children to pass through the fire 
was called Gehenna, or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And so the valleys represent hell, and mountains represent heaven. So these civilizations, they all have a part of this secret mystery religion, and every one of them built high places. They were performing sacrifices in the high places. And when you look at the Bible, you see that everywhere. They built them the high places. Here is Second or First Kings chapter 14. They also built them high places. Second Kings 17, they built high places in all their cities. Solomon himself built high places. And here's to me, Sheila, this kind of stuff here really, it, it makes it so fun to study the King James Bible. You have all these high places built in the Old Testament. Solomon built them. Manasseh built them. He restored the high places. What's interesting is, is that you and I, we're doing so with this radio program right now. We do so in our daily lives. Everything that we do is wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness, where? It's in the high places. So we literally, we, now we have an understanding of what these high places represent. And what I'm seeing around the world is that there are pyramids and there are high places literally everywhere. Pull up, or if you live near a city, I live near St. Louis, Missouri. In St. Louis, Missouri, there is a building called the St. Louis Civil Courts Building, and it is a, it's a courthouse. And it was built back in the 30s. Uh, before the arch was built. The arch was built in the 60s. It was built in the 30s, and everybody in St. Louis looks at the top of this building, and they have no clue what it is. But what's on top of the civil courts building in St. Louis is a Greek temple with a step pyramid on top of it. And on top of that step pyramid are two um, creatures that are part man and part lion and part eagle, and they're both facing in opposite directions. One faces east and one faces west. And nobody in St. Louis knows or, or will admit what the symbolism that is, but I know. I know what it is. I get it. I understand that. It is a high place, and those two creatures up there, are they're mixed breed. They are part human and part, part beast. Um, I had a pastor take me to McAllister, Oklahoma. And I had been to McAllister, but I'd never seen this. He said, Mike, you guys see this. And we drove to downtown McAllister, Oklahoma, which is eastern Oklahoma. And in this town, there is on, the, on top of the highest hill in McAllister, they built the Masonic Temple there. And this temple is decorated. I, I didn't get a chance to go inside, but I just walked around took, taking pictures. They have a Rosicrucian cross there. Oh, I'm looking no. at look, Oh, yeah. And when you go to the front door of this temple, on the, on the left-hand side, there is an image of a male god with the sun around his head. And then on the, on the, the right-hand side, there's an image of the woman with the crescent moon near her feet. And you had the opposites here. You had the sun and the moon, and you had the male and the female. One is high and one is low. And they're both joined together. It's the fusion of the opposites inside the temple. And the word temple... If you believe the Bible, the word temple literally refers to the human body. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And this temple was built on a high place in McAllister, Oklahoma, Washington, D.C. There is a high place in Washington, D.C. called Capitol 
Hill. And at Capitol Hill, every four years, we perform this ritual. We inaugurate a new leader of our nation. And this is done under the shadow of a high place where a statue of a goddess sits on top of the Capitol building. And literally, if you go from city to city, from place to place, in major cities all over this country, the architecture of these buildings that are popping up, if, if you'll take a look at them, there's, there's in St. Louis, they're in Los Angeles, they're, they are in Indianapolis, they are in Chicago, they're in New York. You start looking at all these pyramids that are sitting on top of these buildings, these high-rise towers that are going up all over the place. In Memphis, they built a pyramid. In Las Vegas, they built a pyramid, and there's this illumination light coming out of the top of it. So the premise behind this idea is, and I'll let you take it from here because I know we're almost out of time, but the premise of this, of this, what I'm seeing here in the Scripture is, is that we are right now doing exactly what Manasseh did that led him to put the idle shepherd inside the temple of God. And we are doing those things right now, which I believe at some point they are going to bring about, remember this is all about rituals. These rituals are going to bring about a time when the man of sin, the son of perdition, is going to sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, Mike, don't you find it so fascinating that, you know, I guess the Pharaoh being a type of the beast in the last days here, isn't yeah. it compelling that Daniel walks us through this in chapter 7, Revelation 13, Isaiah? I mean, it's all very interconnected, but these occult Luciferians, they really take their numerology and their occult symbols very serious, don't they? But it's interesting. It's always a counterfeit of what God... I mean, look at the 24 ribs, the 24 elders. I mean, yeah. I could go on and on. It's so fascinating how God ordained numerical systems, and yet these occultists, they hijacked this system, didn't they? Absolutely. And, and something to remember is that you and I, as Bible-believing Christians, we deal with what's real, in other words, they say that the lamb is a symbol of Christ. Christ literally is a lamb. He is the lamb of God. And all you have to do is read Revelation chapter 1, and you'll see that the hairs of Jesus' head that John saw was white wool. Okay, he literally is the lamb of God. And you were talking about the 24 elders. And I'm going to announce something, Sheila, on your program that I've, I've kept quiet about all this time. You're going to be the first to hear it, and all your listeners are going to be the first to hear it. Starting July 31st, July 31st, which is a Friday, starting Friday night, all day Saturday and into Sunday, we have what's called a Bethel homecoming. And we invite all of our listeners and all of our watchers from everywhere to come. And, and it's just been growing every year. And our church will host them, we'll feed everybody. But it's Friday night, it's all day Saturday, packed full of Bible teaching, Bible preaching, and things like that. And the theme of it this year and I've been working on it. I'm working on it right now. As soon as I get talking to you, I'm going to go back right to it. When I get done with the homecoming, we're going to go out to Kenya and to a church out there that, that we preached at last year. And those, those are some of the most incredible believers out there in the world. I love them. And I'm going to, I'm going to show them this. But what I'm doing is I'm putting together a, a series of teachings on the human body and how that everything and every part of our body 
is a is a mirror or a match to the temple of God in heaven, the house of God in heaven. Um, and some of these things I have literally just taught myself. Last week, I started working on the a, um, a teaching on human blood. And I didn't know much about human blood. I knew a little bit here and there. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share something that I'm going to be teaching. And this is coming up in a couple weeks. And we stream all of our services live. So we're going to stream the homecoming. And then we'll have it available on YouTube. We'll have it available on DVD as a set. And I, and I promise you, people will want this set of videos. And I'm not here to sell them because we don't sell our DVDs. We give them away. And God has blessed us with that. But I, I started learning things about the human blood. And when I saw them, I went right to the scriptures and I knew exactly what it was. I knew the symbolism of it. And I'll give everybody just a little teaser of this. And I include scripture in everything I say. There are two aspects to human blood. We have red blood cells and we have white blood cells, which is really interesting because Jesus had the cup in his hand and he said, this is the wine of the New Testament in my blood. He associated them together. So blood in the human body and the juice from the fruit of the vine, which they called wine, have they're, they're the same as far as the symbolism is concerned. And what's interesting is that human blood has two aspects to it. It has white and it has red cells in it. I, I'm not a wine drinker. I don't drink wine, never have. But I know that there are two types of wine in this world. There's red wine and there's white wine. And it comes from two different types of grapes. So the colors match. Then I started looking at the symbolism of the red blood cell and, and just started looking at the science of the red blood cells and what they did. The red blood cells are what carries the oxygen that uh, comes into our lungs. The red blood cells will carry that oxygen through the vessels, into the cells, into the muscle tissue, to the brain. The brain requires a large amount of oxygen. And it carries it to the entire body. And the symbol of the body is the body of Jesus Christ. It's the church. And no matter where they are in the world, they are the body of Jesus Christ. And so it's the red blood cells that, that carry the oxygen to the cells. And then the cells will, will use that oxygen. And the red blood cells also interact with our bowels in that they take nutrients that we eat and carry those nutrients. They're converted to sugar and deposits those into our, into our cells. So our cells can have that energy and use that oxygen. And then the cells release carbon. So then the red blood cells pick up that carbon after it's dropped off. It's like dump trucks. After they dropped off the oxygen, they pick up the carbon, carry it back to the lungs. And when we exhale, we're exhaling all of that carbon. That's why they, when we exhale, it's carbon dioxide. We can't breathe it back again. It'll kill us. And so anyway, that's the, what the red blood cells do. And the red blood cells are the carriers of our, of our body. It's interesting that the red blood cells, all of them are shaped exactly like a bowl or a cup, every one of them. So then you look at what Jesus said. He held up a cup, and it was full of red wine. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. And your red blood cells are a cup, just like what Jesus was holding in his hand. Then 
the white blood cells, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say any more after this. The white blood cells to me are the most fascinating. Sheila, if you've ever had a zit, if you've ever had a pimple, if you've ever had like a cyst, I get one on my back every now and then, or you've ever had an infection. You see that white substance inside there. That's white blood cells. Because white blood cells, they're, they're all manufactured in the bones. The white blood cells serve a, the most important purpose in our bodies. When our bodies receive something that is unclean, like a germ, a bacteria, or like say a small amount of dirt gets into our skin when we are working outside, our pores open up to let sweat and oil out to cool our body and to lubricate everything, but then it, it lets in a little piece of dirt. What happens is the white blood cells sort of sniff out this uncleanness. And the white blood cells go and they attack and encompass what it is that's unclean. And the white blood cells cover what's unclean, like the germs or a piece of dirt. It covers them completely so that what's unclean cannot be detected any longer. And then the white blood cells then consume the uncleanness that's in our body. And then after a certain point, it kind of breaks down and distributes that like as nutrients to the rest of our body. So here's, here's something to remember. You and I, we have sinned against an almighty and a holy God. We have broken God's commandments. We have done things that the Bible characterizes as unclean. The Bible calls them sin. Those sins are written down in a book. The book of Revelation tells us that. Those sins are written down in a book. Now, to those who are born-again believers, those sins have been covered with blood. Mm -hmm. And the blood of Jesus has been applied to those sins, and they cannot be seen any longer. And I'm and right now, just talking about this, the hair is standing up on the back of my head. <laughs> because there, listen to this now. There's a verse in Isaiah, and we all know it. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And in our blood, the typology of our blood shows us the redemption of Jesus Christ and the New Testament in his blood that the white blood cells are what covers the sin and makes them so that they cannot be seen any longer. And that's what the blood of Jesus does for us, is that it has covered our sins, and we will stand before God justified as if we had never sinned. That's what I'm going to talk about at our homecoming coming up in two weeks. I'm excited about it. Wow, well, that sounds incredible. And Michael, thank you for teaching on this fascinating subject tonight. And we absolutely look forward to the series on the human body it's really no wonder that satan has such a rank obsession with our dna our genome and our blood isn't it amen and 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 you're exactly right and with with everything that christ does there is an opposite in in satan's kingdom and he hates the blood but remember it was the the applied blood on the doorpost that caused the That's destroying right. angel to not go inside of that house and destroy who was in there 
Absolutely. Well, give out your best website for folks to check out your handiwork, Mike. VisitBethelChurch.com is one of them. Uh, let me give another one. SermonAudio.com slash Bethel. Uh, PastorMikeOnline.com. I do a live program Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and then all of our church services are streamed uh, through practically all of our web pages. PropheticResearchMinistry.com is another. We have several web pages. And there's another one that I'd like to talk about. It's called 666Alert.net. And I started seeing hexagons everywhere. And in packaging, I'm seeing this and other people seeing it. They're sending me pictures from all over the place. We're seeing triple hexagons on packages yeah. like we have never seen them before. And if you go to 666, and that's the numbers, alert.net, 666alert.net, I have probably right now close to 300 examples of packaging merchandising, uh, magazine ads, store shelf arrangements, and so on, you name it, uh, where this six or this hexagon is being blasted at us. And most, pe most people won't comprehend what it is, but it's being blasted at everybody. And I have probably three or 400 more that we haven't posted yet, and people are sending it to us all the time. So if you see something with hexes on it, or you see something with sixes on it or whatever, take a picture of it, send it to our email address, and we'll get it on the website. It's interesting, the deeper we sink here into depravity, the more the symbolism is ramping up. Incredible, isn't it? Well, Pastor Mike, thank you so much for coming on the program tonight. I appreciate your time, and I encourage everyone to check out those websites. They are linked there on the website. Pastor Mike, thanks so much for coming back on, and do come and see us soon. Always have fun, Sheila. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Folks, that was Pastor Michael Hoggard. His information is linked on today's bio at weekendvigilante.com. And just a quick notice that my website is being moved. The whole entire website is being moved to a complete different server. I was attacked and hit all week last week. It was shut down for numerous days. And it was quite a mess, so we're working on beefing up some security measures on my website. So hopefully that will be done by this Friday. And speaking of this Friday, they tell me this Friday, my book, Green Gospel, hits Amazon. In the meantime, you can pre-order it. So do pre-order your copy by visiting greengospel.ca, greengospel.ca. Thank you, folks, for tuning into the broadcast tonight. I look forward to you joining me the rest of the week. Got a great lineup of guests, so do tune in. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night, and God bless.